Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Or you can join us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. Today we're continuing our series that we began last week called Entrusted. Entrusted, learning to manage what you've been given. Learning to manage what you've been given. And we began last week by saying that money affects all of us in some way or another. We've all made some amount. We've all spent some amount. And it affects all of us in one way or another. And so whether you have a lot in your account or maybe you would say, no, I just have a little in my account. We all have to know how to manage it. And if we got honest today, we would go that none of us are perfect at it. Like nobody's going 10 for 10 on money management decisions. So this series is about helping equip you with biblical eternal truth from God's word about how to manage what God has entrusted and what he's given to you to manage. So I want to say, man, just kudos to some of you. It's week two in a row, all right? You're making an investment to be here. And man, I just say congratulations on man, being a part of committing to take these steps, man, to trust God, to hear the truth, and then to act it out. And if you're a student in the room today, and we've got a lot of our student life kids here, man, I know you're going like, oh, this really only applies to mom and dad. Listen, I want you to hear, like, for you to go ahead and grasp this truth at this age is a massive step in living in freedom. For some of you, like, your your college, you're thinking about getting married, you just got married, you're engaged. Man, no better way to start that marriage relationship than to do it the right way with understanding what does God say to us about money. Now, I said this last week, and I'm going to go ahead and say it again this week because some of you forgot and some of you weren't here. And so you need to know this because whenever the church, okay, talks about money in our culture, it typically goes one way. We're like, uh-huh, they're only after one thing. They're only, at one, they're only after one part of me, and they just want my checkbook. So I want to go ahead and just help you understand some things that we laid out last week. One, this series is not about bailing our church out of debt. We're actually debt-free, pretty fired up about that, okay? Number two, it's not a condemnation of wealth. If God's blessed you in that way, man, that's awesome. We want to figure out how to steward it God's way. And finally, it is not three easy steps to gain $100,000. I'm sorry if you walked in thinking that's where we're going, but that ain't the beat we're playing today, all right? We're talking about how to take what God's given to all of us, and everybody's is different, and how to manage it God's way. Here's what we also said last week. God knew, okay, God called it ahead of time, that money would be the biggest competitor for our heart. Hands down, money would be it. It would be the chief enemy of us robbing ourselves, trusting God. That's why in Scripture, God puts over 2,300 verses about how to manage money and our stuff, more than about heaven, hell, faith, or prayer. God knew money would be that big of a deal to us. And so last week, we started opening up the truth to look at that. And if you weren't here last week and you missed week one of our series, man, I would highly, highly encourage you this afternoon or maybe sometime this next week to go back on our website. You can watch it, listen to it, download the podcast, get it some way, because last week we talked about some incredibly powerful truth. And here's where the discussion began last week with this foundational truth. If you missed it last week, this is your chance to write it down. Here it is. Our struggle with money is never a money issue. It's always a trust issue. Our struggle with money is never a money issue. It's always a trust issue. Uh Uh-uh, you don't know how much I got. Uh Uh-uh, it is a trust issue. We're doing pretty good. We're okay. Okay, it is a trust issue. 
This series is not about how much you got or how little you got or you got more than them or what are you doing with yours or what did they buy and what did you do. It's about do you trust God? That's, that's the foundational question of our says. Do you trust God to be provider, sustainer, giver? Do you trust him with all that you are? And so last week we talked about the first and most important way that God says that scripture lays out for us to trust God. And that's by bringing back to him a tithe. And a tithe is 10% of whatever you bring in, your first and your best, 10% off the top that you bring, not give, because you can't give something that doesn't belong to you first, hello, all right, but you bring it back to him. Why would we do that? We do that to say, God, it wasn't mine to start with, and God, I trust you more than I trust me. So we talked about what does that look like? And so, man, I'm telling you, go back, watch last week, okay, write that down, go back and watch last week, because here's what we did. We answered the question, what is a tithe? There's so many different thoughts in our culture about what is a tithe. We looked at scripture and talked about what is a tithe. Then we talked about why should you do that? Why is it obedient? We looked at scripture and talked about it. And then in a super practical way, we talked about what happens if you drop something in that white box or you text to give to this spiritual house, what happens with it? And we talked about it. I answered all of those questions. So go back and check that out. Now, today we're going to take a little bit of a different angle on things, and we're going to get really, really practical about how we manage money. I got to say a, things, a couple of things when we get started. One, I am a pastor, not a financial expert. I'm not trying to fake you out today, all right? I'm a pastor, not a financial expert, but what I want to pass on to you today is some advice, some wisdom that I've learned from others that has helped me that I think is incredibly beneficial, and it matters to everybody in the house, so I'm just passing it on to you. Second thing you need to know at the beginning of today, all right? You heard my family up here. You saw them last week. Man, we talked about the fact that we're not a perfect family. And so what I'm admitting to you from the beginning of today, so you don't kind of feel like I'm looking down at you, at my house, my wife and I, we don't always make the perfect financial decisions, okay? We ain't got this 100% right at our house, so we're learning this with you, all right? We're learning to trust God. We're learning to manage our money wisely with you. Now, today, uh, if you have a copy of Scripture, you can open up to Proverbs chapter 22, Last week, we were, uh, last week, we were in Proverbs 3. Today, we're just flipping over a little bit. Proverbs 22, split your Bible in half. You'll probably land in Psalms, and you're going to go one book over to the right, Proverbs 22. Now, I'm going to go ahead and say this, that we're going to be in multiple passages of Scripture today. Um, most of them are going to be in Proverbs, but I'm giving you Proverbs 22 because that's kind of where the foundational verse is going to be. So that's a place you can kind of bookmark and go to, and uh, we'll come off of that passage here in a second. Now, I'd also highly encourage you to take notes. Some of you are not note takers. You're like, no, 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 man. I, I got it all right here. Okay? No, you don't. No, you don't. Statistics show you forget over 80% of what you just hear. That means by the time you hit the door or go get your kid, you don't forget 80% of what I just said. And quite honestly, I worked way too hard this week for you to get 80, forget 80% of what I said. All right? I don't want you to waste your time today. So write something down. Type it in your phone. Write it on the back of a communication card. Take it with you so that you can begin to apply it to your life. Now, I'm going to ask a participation question. I want you to listen and respond. How many of you, how many of you would admit that at some point in your life, whether maybe a long time ago or maybe even recently, how many of you would admit that you have stressed or worried about money at some point? Just raise your hand if that's you. All right, pretty much everybody in the house, all right? Even some of the students, they're like, man, we couldn't figure out how to eat at Mickey D's. Here's the deal. Financial stress is a very real thing. It's a very real thing, and it's never a positive thing. 
Financial stress is a very real thing, and it's never a positive thing. I've never heard anybody in my entire life say, man, ever since we got into debt, our marriage has been so much better. Like before we had payments, man, we weren't happy. We were fighting all the time. But now that we got payments, oh, it is great. I mean, it's like the honeymoon phase all over again. Never heard anybody say that. I've never heard anybody say the massively high rate on my credit card improved our family's happiness. Like we're just more unified. High rates equal happiness, right? Nobody's ever said that. Nobody has also ever said, hey, you know what? Every night when I go to bed, man, I just lay there and I just praise God for the debt in my life. Like, like before I had it, man, I was struggling. But now that I got it, man, I'm just so thankful for the debt that he's. Nobody does that, right? But here's the deal. Here's the truth, all right? You know people and I know people who have said things like this. Man, I wish that we could give to some people who are in need. But like, we, I mean, we just can't. Like that's us right now. I wish we could, though. Man, I wish that, you know, one of us could stay home with the kids. That'd be really nice, but we're not even close to where we could do that. Maybe you said things like, man, I wish we didn't have this stress, like, because it causes us to fight all the time. Or maybe you said some things like, you know what, I wish that we could travel, like, like, (laughs) just two nights out of town, even in the state. I wish we could, but like, man, like, it's just not even an option on the table right now. Why do we say that? Why do we get in that place? Because financial stress is real, and financial stress is controlling over our lives. And the challenging thing is, a lot of people just really don't have a great understanding about how money works. They just don't know. Think about it. Most schools, you can go to high school, go to college, maybe even get a graduate degree, and they'll give you the diploma but they never really teach you how to personally handle the money that you have. I mean, maybe you slept through an economics class, but you never really locked in to how to manage the money that God has entrusted you with. Now, how many of you remember your very first job? Anybody remember your very first job? Some of you are still working it right now, you're a student. I think my first job was cutting grass in the neighborhood because that's what every kid did, all right? Uh, How many of you remember getting that first paycheck? Anybody remember getting the first paycheck? Uh Uh-huh, all right? Man, when you get that first paycheck, I don't know if you can think back that far, but when you get that first paycheck, man, do you not feel like a millionaire? Do you not just feel so rich? I mean, it may be $53.32, but you're rolling, okay? As a 16-year-old, an 18-year-old, I mean, like, you got it in your pocket, and what's the deal? Like, it is burning a hole in your pocket. You got to do something with that. Like, we're going out tonight, $53.32, whatever that buys, we're going for it, right? Man, if you're making it, that's what you feel. You got to spend it. It's like a guy I heard about who got his first job right out of college. And within a few weeks, he went out and bought him a brand new pickup truck that cost him $48,000. And he financed it for 72 months at a 19% interest rate. And he thought ain't no big deal to that. Listen, ain't no big deal. He got a job. He's getting a check. And he can make the monthly payments. It ain't that hard. But what he did not realize was, was what he had signed himself up for. Because you see, $48,000 at the end of 72 months with a 19% interest rate equals $81,000. See, he didn't buy a $48,000 pickup truck. He bought an $81,000 pickup truck. And at the end of six years, when that truck is hopefully paid for and it has his name on the title because it belongs to him, What's it really going to be worth? Maybe 12000 bucks. 
So what happened was he just paid $81,000 for something that when he owns it's only going to be worth $12,000. Now, I wasn't a whiz at algebra, but even I know those aren't good numbers. See, that's how easy it is for us to misunderstand. That's how easy it is for us to trip up in the area of managing what God has given to us. And the challenge is there's so many people who just don't understand. It's kind of like this guy who learned not in school, but he learned his lesson, like many of us, the hard way. He learned it the hard way. And let's be honest today, okay, money and financial stress and debt, like, that's not really a whole lot of fun to talk about, is it? Some of you, like, you didn't know that's what we're talking about today, and you rolled in, and now you're like, I wonder if I could duck out. You think they would know? You think they would know? We might know. Okay, it's kind of small room. We might know. I'm just saying, lean in, lean in. I want to give you some stuff. But listen to me. Listen to me today. I want you to hear this. We've all made mistakes, and the truth is that a lot of people, maybe for some of you in the room, and you feel embarrassed by it. Maybe you feel like you don't understand. You feel overwhelmed. And you'd rather do anything, anything but talk about money. You'd rather do anything than check the bank account, balance the checkbook, because you feel helpless and you feel hopeless. But Solomon, who we read from last week in Proverbs 3, he would also write this in Proverbs 22. Here's our foundational verse for today. The rich rule over the poor. And the borrower is slave to the lender. The borrower is slave to the lender. The borrower is in bondage. When we owe, we're actually in bondage to the one that we owe. And I don't know anybody that just wakes up going, man, I'd love to live in bondage today. That sounds like a lot of fun. We don't do that. And so that's why I'm saying to you, man, I'm begging you today as your pastor, as your friend, as a co-follower of Christ and co-manager of what God's given to us, I'm telling you to lean in, Okay. Lock in, take some notes, write something down so that we can begin to grow. Because here's the deal. I don't believe that God longs for his kids to live in bondage. I don't believe that he longs for us to live in bondage. So I want you to imagine a different question, if you will. What would it be like to be free of financial stress and debt? What would it it be like? Imagine if something breaks. Imagine if something breaks at your house, on your car, wherever, and all you do is you pay for it. Imagine if something breaks and you just go, okay, well, that stinks, but we're just going to pay for it, all right? Imagine, imagine if you want something, okay? If you want something and you just buy it, you pay cash for it, like, like no down payment, no interest rates, no monthly installments, you just pay for it. Imagine if somebody that you knew was in need and they needed some help and you were able to go, man, we can do that. We, we want to help. We want to be a part of that. Imagine if you got a week off for vacation and your biggest decision was you couldn't figure out where you wanted to go. You got options. We go to the beach or we go to the mountains. Or maybe we could do the mountains or maybe we could do the beach. You've got options. Why? Because you're not under financial stress and pressure. Now hear me. If the practical side of this, okay, that I just talked to you about, if the practical side doesn't motivate you, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, I pray that the spiritual side of this would motivate you. In Luke 16, Jesus tells his disciples a parable, a story about a manager who is really bad at managing his owner's money. And at the end of the parable, Jesus gives these two verses of truth. And I want you to see them. Luke 16, verse 10. Here's what Jesus says. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever's dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Verse 11. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? 
Jesus said, if you're faithful with a little, he will know that you could be trusted maybe with more. In other words, living with integrity, with what God has given to us, with what he's entrusted to all of us, is actually a way that we worship, that we please, and that we honor God. So if the practical side of being financially free doesn't motivate you, let the spiritual side that what you do and what I do with what God entrusts to us, it matters to God. Like it's a big deal to God. And so I really hope that, man, by the end of our time today, that every single person in the room would long for something different than what the world is selling us. That we would want something different than what the world is trying to sell us. So however, instead of just taking just a practical approach or a financial approach, again, I'm not a financial expert, I want us to see this as a spiritual matter. Because when our heart is aligned with God and we trust him, that's why we started with trust last week, we're going practical this week. Okay, when we trust him, we will begin to realize that we can trust him with our life first, and then we will realize that we can begin to trust him with his money that he's given to us second. All right, so today I want to give you some practical prayers to pray in our pursuit of a debt-free life. Most all of us, whether you said it out loud or like you're just keeping it to yourself, we've all made boo-boos and mistakes with money. All of us, everybody. And so if we're not a great manager, then we should look to one who is a good manager, who is God the giver and the provider himself. So today, here's what you're going to write down. Three different prayers that I hope for all of us, whether you're single adult, married adult, about to get married, single or senior adult, I want you to hopefully make these prayers a part of your response back to God. As you go, man, I want to find freedom. I want to walk wisely with what's been entrusted to me. Here's what I want you to begin to pray. Here's the first prayer today. God, give me self-control. God, give me self-control. The other day, my wife um, took my five-year-old son, Braylon, to Chick-fil-A to get some Christian chicken. All right, sorry, they're closed today. I know I just tempted you, and now you can't even go there. Isn't that the worst, okay? But, like, because they do that, I think God honors that. But, I mean, she took my son, Braylon. It was a little bit before lunchtime, and so they sat down. They got a table. They were kind of hanging out, and then my son got hungry, which is like a 24-7 deal. And so he got hungry, and so she goes up. She's like, well, I'm going to go order something that we can go ahead and go share. And so she goes up to the counter, orders a 12-count pack of Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets. Can you just smell it? Okay, again, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm 50. But she gets a 12-count pack, brings it back, sets it in the middle of the table. He's on his side of the table kind of playing. She's on her side, got her computer open. She's doing some work. And so my wife says that she ate a couple of the chicken nuggets, and then she looks up from her computer after she's eaten a couple of them, and she looks at the container in the middle of the table, and it's empty. They're all gone. And she looks at my son, and she goes, Braylon, like, were you hungry? And he goes, Yes, ma'am. All right. And so now my wife is hungry or maybe a little bit hangry at this point. And so she's like, well, I'm going to get me some. And so she goes back up to the counter, orders another pack of 12-count Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets, brings them back to the table, opens them up, sets them in the middle of the table. She sits down, starts working again. My, Braylon, or my son Braylon's on the other side playing. And then a couple of minutes after she set him down, a lady comes by that my wife knows. And the lady starts engaging my wife in conversation. And so my wife turns away from the table to talk to this lady. Don't get ahead of me. Don't get ahead of me. <laughs> and she's engaged in this conversation for a few minutes. And she turns back and looks at the 12-count pack of Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets. And there's two left in the container. <laughs> two. And just in full mommy mode, like without even thinking, she's still talking to this lady. Just swoop, she grabs the rest of that container and sets it over here, still talking to the lady. As soon as the lady walks off, she looks at my son. She goes, Braylon, 
Like, what are you doing? Like, you just ate like 20 Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets and you didn't even check up, son. Like, that was not what you were supposed to do. And he looks at my wife and he goes, yeah, mom, I know. My stomach's kind of, uh. <laughs> you see, the problem is this. We all have a five-year-old like my son living inside of us. We do. We have this overwhelming urge that sometimes we can't stop and self-control gets thrown out the window and we totally act on what we think or what we feel. And just like with my son, it's not always what's best for us. And so we must begin to pray, God, contain that five-year-old inside of me. God, discipline me to think wisely. God, when I act without wisdom, God, would you give me wisdom? And we begin to pray this prayer very practically. God, give me self-control. God, would you give me self-control? Ladies, I want to talk to you for a minute, all right? Every time you walk by a clearance rack, you need to begin to pray, God, give me self-control. Husbands, keep your elbows to yourself. Keep your elbows to yourself, I'm telling you. Okay, ladies, you need to begin to pray, God, give me self-control. Ladies, you know that you're vulnerable to whatever is on sale, and then what happens is you bring it home after you buy it, and you come home and you justify how much money you saved, right? You find that charm, that cute little charm, and it's like, oh, that's me. Like, that's the kids. That's us. And then you buy that charm. But to get the charm, you got to get the bracelet that goes with the charm, right? Okay, but then on the other side of the store is the outfit that matches the bracelet, that matches the charm. And you got to get all three. But you can't walk out of the store without the rest of the outfit, right? you got to get the shoes to go with it that match the outfit, that match the bracelet, that match the charm. And then you bring it home, and you go, baby, let me tell you how much money I just saved, Right? Ladies, nickel, dime, nickel, dime will sink the ship. So begin to pray, God, give me self-control. Men, we don't get out of this either, okay, for us. Typically, we just blow up the whole ship all at once. That's how it works for us. Hey, baby, I bought a boat. I bought a boat and I bought a truck to pull the boat with. All we need, baby, now is a lake house and we are set, right? Man, man, we just blow up the whole ship all at once, so we got to begin to learn to practically pray as we lead our family. God, would you give me self-control? God, would you give me self-control? Help me to realize my life is not consistent in the abundance of stuff. God, give me self-control. In Galatians 5, Paul is describing someone who's in Christ, who's growing in a real relationship with Jesus. And he gives all these different characteristics if you know Galatians 5, you know it's called the fruit of the Spirit. And I want you to read what does Paul write about this person who's growing in Christ. Here, here it is, Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what does it say? Self-control. We've got to learn to pray, God, give me self-control in a really real, real way. God, give me self-control. Now, here's, here's the truth. How, here's how it happens. You ready? What we have to learn to say is we learn to say no for a little while. Why? So we can say yes for the rest of our life. Some of you, that's it. Like, you need to write that down, right? I'm repeating it for you. Get your pen ready. Type it, type it out. You need to learn to say no for a little while so you can say yes for the rest of your life. Now, I'm not sure where this lands for you, but it applies to everybody in the house. We're going to learn that discipline. Maybe for you ladies, you like to get your nails done every single week. You go to the same place. It's your special. They know you when you walk in. Listen, listen, listen. You need to learn to say no for a little while 
so you can say yes for the rest of your life. For some of you guys on your job site at your office, okay, man, you look, man, every day, man, we just, we go get lunch. I love to go buy my lunch, okay? It's $10 here, and it's 12 here, and it's 6 here, and every day you're buying lunch. Listen to me, listen to me. You need to learn to say no for a little while and maybe pack you a sack lunch for a season so that you can say yes for the rest of your life. All my $5 coffee cup drinkers in the house, okay, hello, all right? Maybe you need to learn to say no to that $5 cup of coffee for a little while, for a little while, and say yes to the grocery store brand coffee. It won't kill you. Listen to me, listen to me, so that you can one day say yes to drink coffee wherever, whenever you want. For some of you in the house, I know your 12-year-old, your 9-year-old is just dying to have an iPhone. And in our culture, it seems like to not give your 12-year-old an iPhone is like murder. <laughs> listen to me. Listen to me. Learn to say no for a little while so that you can say yes for the rest of your life. Some of you have been eyeballing that truck, that SUV that's on the lot, and you're like, man, I can smell the new car smell right now. Listen to me. Listen to me. Learn to say no for a little while so that you can say yes for the rest of your life. We begin to pray, God, give me self-control. God, contain that five-year-old that gets wild inside of me when I walk in the store, on the lot, in the restaurant. God, contain that and give me self-control. Here's the second prayer we're going to pray is this. God, would you give me understanding? God, would you give me self-control? And God, would you give me understanding? Let's be honest. Like we said earlier about the guy with the truck, so many people, they just don't understand you don't know what you don't know, how numbers work and how debt works to hurt you. But here's what Solomon would also write to you and me. Proverbs 18, verse 15. Look at this. The heart of the discerning acquires knowledge, for the ears of the wise seek it out. He says the wise person seeks out knowledge. So we could presume that one who is unwise is guilty of not seeking out knowledge and understanding. And the truth is people are hurt financially because they don't have a very clear understanding. In our culture, when someone's buying something, generally people just ask the wrong questions. We ask two questions most of the time. How much down and how much a month? How much down and how much a month? That's the wrong question. The question is, what does this cost? What does this really cost me? Now, I did some research, and of those people who have credit card debt in the United States, the average amount of debt today for people who carry credit card debt is $16,000. Some of you feel a lot better about yourself right now, <laughs> and some of you are like, oh, mercy, okay? $16,000. So what I want to do for a moment, and here's the deal. I realize some of you already know this. You're going to get this. But for some of you, this is going to be revolutionary. For some of you, this is going to be shocking. I want to show you for just a moment, really simply, how compounding interest works for you or against you. So I'm going to plug in some numbers. Okay, and some of you go, well, that's too high. That's too low, the percentage point. Listen, I'm not worried about that. I'm trying to help you see the concept of what our world is selling to you. Okay, so with that thought process that the average household has $16,000 worth of credit card debt, we're going to work with that number. Here's what I want you to see. Based on those numbers, if you owe $16,000 in debt and you pay $250 a month 
the minimum payment at a 19% interest rate. So you see those numbers? 16,000 is what you owe. You pay 250 a month at a 19% interest rate. It's going to take you 40 years to pay that off. 40 years to pay that off. Now, let's take it a step further. How much interest do you think that you will pay on $16,000 across 40 years at a 19% interest rate? These numbers are rounded. Okay, they're rounded, but they're really, really close. Listen to me. You will pay $105,000 in interest. You didn't just pay $16,000. You just paid $105,000 in interest. That's how it works against you. All right? However, let's, let's flip the paper over. Let's go the other way. You ready? If, however, let's say that you didn't have the debt, but you actually had $16,000. I realize for some of you, you're like, that's so far-fetched. Let's just say you did. And you took that $16,000 and you invested it. You invested it, all right? And you didn't add anything to it. Nothing else on top of it. Just one time, here's $16,000. And you invested that at a 10% investment rate for 40 years, the same amount of time, with nothing added onto that $16,000 at the end of that time, it would equal $725,000. $725,000. How different would your life be if you stopped charging that cup of coffee on your credit card? $725,000. But I want to take it deeper. Okay, let, let me take it deeper. So you got $16,000, you invested it, all right? And now rather than having to pay $250 a month to the credit card company, you put that on top of your investment. So rather than writing it to you, I'm taking $250 and I'm putting it on top of my investment, $250, $250 every month with a 10% investment rate. At the end of that same amount of time, you would have incurred two million dollars two million dollars that is the power of what this world is trying to sell us the opposite of okay that is how compounding interest works for you or against you there is power in understanding right you don't know what you don't know now again I am a pastor I'm not a financial expert. I'm not trying to fake you out today or sell you something. And so that's why we're offering a class out of this series called Financial Peace, where you can hear not from me, but from an expert who knows way more about this stuff than I do. And here's what happens in that class. In that class, we're going to gain knowledge, understanding. God, give me understanding. We're going to laugh at our mistakes. We're going to cheer each other on. We're going to make progress together. So we begin to pray, God, give me self-control. I need it. God, give me understanding. Help me. Because there's so much that I don't know yet. And God, when I begin to gain understanding, it will begin to walk me into freedom so that I can trust you and honor you with what you've entrusted to me. Final prayer is this. God, would you give me a plan? God, would you give me a plan? God, give me self-control. God, give me understanding. And then God, would you give me a plan? Here's what Solomon would also say, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. The plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. The plans of the faithful, the diligent, it says, leads to 
profit. So what is haste? What is the back half? What is haste mean? Well, the Hebrew word for haste means I was sad, so I went shopping. That's what haste means. No, I'm kidding. Haste means you ain't got a plan. And Solomon says that haste leads to poverty. Here's a truth that some of you need to write down. Here's what we need to recognize. You can wander into debt, but you will never wander out of debt. You can wander into debt, but you will never wander out of debt. You can stumble into debt, but you ain't never going to stumble out of it. You can, oh my goodness, oh mercy, we messed up, into debt, but you can never, oh my goodness, we messed up, oh mercy, out of debt. It don't work that way. That's why we need a plan. This is scriptural, it's spiritual. Solomon says the plans of the diligent lead to profit. So what, what happens, like if you were to think about taking this next step of financial peace, what are you really going to do? I'm about to give you a snapshot into the class. I'm letting you see in. Here's what you're going to do. The first thing that you're going to do is you're going to learn to have an emergency fund because emergencies happen to set up an emergency fund of $1,000. We ain't got $1,000. Well, you're going to sell some stuff. You're going to sell everything you can sell. I mean, when the kids are acting up, you sell them. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. All right? <laughs> Whatever it takes, you take $1,000 and you put that in that emergency fund. Well, what happens next? Well, then Dave's going to teach you very practically how to start paying off debts. And then once we pay off some debts, what's going to happen? Then we're going to start putting aside an emergency fund for three to six months living expenses. That much? Yeah, that much. Because life happens and we've all had it. And we're going to learn about investing. And guess what? We're actually going to honor God with a plan. If we're faithful with the little, what did it say? God will be able to trust us more because we've got a plan. Heard the story of a couple named Keith and Karen who years ago went through financial peace. They're some of the five million people who've walked through it, and they took it seriously. And during this time, man, Keith was a teacher. They loved teaching school. They wanted to have kids. They tried to have kids. They couldn't have kids. And finally, the doctor looked at him and said, you're not going to have kids. And so Keith and Karen begin praying as they're trying to take these steps of financial peace about what does this look like. And so they adopted a son here from the States, and then they took it a step further, and they went through an international adoption and adopted a daughter from overseas. This whole time, man, they're trusting God. They're walking through the financial peace plans. If you know anything about an international adoption, you know it's very costly, very expensive. And during this time, they're trusting God with their tithe. They're walking through the plan. Keith, as the uh, expenses increased, Keith took on a second job where he was helping do people's taxes as much as he could, help out in that area. He began to work through a kind of an eBay route where he would buy certain items and then sell it back to a specific market just to do anything he could to make a little bit more money to begin to take care of things. And this whole time, they're tithing, they're following the plan, they're trusting God with what he's entrusted to them. And in less than five years, Keith and Kieran, on a single income as a teacher paid off all of their debt, including their mortgage, including their mortgage. And now they were not living in a mansion, but they were living debt free. What did they do when they were debt free? Well, they continued to trust God. They continued to tithe. And then they begin to give above and beyond, to give generous offerings to other people who are seeking out the route of adoption because they believed in adoption that much. And God continued to honor their obedience and the plan that they were walking out. And not only that, but then God challenged them and they expanded their family by one more and they adopted yet another kid. 
And during this whole time, Karen knew that she was supposed to stay at home to raise the kids, and she did. So Keith got the big job, right? No, Keith continued to live out his calling that he knew God called him to, to be a teacher, because he was making the investment in students' lives. Why could they do that? Because they weren't strapped by financial pressure and debt. The borrower is a slave to the lender. And guess what? They were not a slave to anyone because they were living debt-free. So how do you get there? How could that be you? Really? Yeah. Learn to say no for a little while. Uh, For a little while. So you can say yes for the rest of your life. Begin to pray, God, God, give me self-control. I need it. God, would you give me understanding? I, I, I just don't know. I need to know. And then, God, would you give me a plan that I can begin to work out? Listen to me. What I know is, is I give a talk like this, okay? Man, I'm a real person just like you. I got a family and bills to pay and income to manage. And I realize it's really easy to hear this and go like, oh, man, like, I, this is so hard, so tough. Man, I, like, oh, I wish I would have known this a long time ago. Like, I'm, I've messed this up for my family, Like, we fight over this. I know it's not right. It's so easy to feel that. So hear me. Listen to me. Listen to me. If that's you, man, that pain I know is very real. That stress is very real. But I want you to know today that we serve a very good and faithful God. Very good and faithful God. That when we learn to put him first and we trust him, and we pursue him, and we work his plan. It's amazing, okay, how faithful he is to honor our obedience. I didn't say he's going to give you a million bucks, but I said he's going to honor your obedience. And last week we said, man, he makes our paths straight when we walk in his plans and purposes for us. Maybe you've heard all this today, and you're thinking like, man, I just don't see it. Like, no, man, not, not for us. Like, great message. You get all fired up. We laughed a couple of times. That was awesome. But like, uh-uh. Like, we, we are where we are. It's just going to be monthly payments. I don't see a way out. I just don't get it. Can I give you one last bit of truth today? Man, if you're a follower of Jesus in our room today, then I want you to remember this truth. Jesus didn't pay your sin debt in full on the cross for you to live in personal debt for the rest of your life. Jesus did not pay for your spiritual freedom from bondage, for you to live in personal bondage that you create for the rest of your life. Here's what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Look at it. When you were dead, when you and I were dead in our sins and in the uncircumcision of our flesh, God made us alive with Christ, and he forgave us some. No, not a little bit. No, he forgave us all our sins. Verse 14, here it is. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, and he's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Jesus paid the highest price for you and for me. The highest debt for you and for me. And he paid for you and I to know freedom, not to live in bondage that we create for ourselves. So may we all begin to pray, God, give me self-control.
God, give me understanding. And God, would you give me a plan that I can work out? And as I do, I will trust you. I will trust you. And I will honor you with what you have entrusted to me. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.